Habits and Health, episode 45. Welcome to the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome to another edition of Habits and Health. My guest today is Renee Jones. She spent 40 years on a diet yo-yo before eventually overcoming emotional stress and eating to, to reach and maintain her goals since 2012. She has a master's degree in counselling, a clinical residency and training in contemporary models of care. And her book, What's Really Eating You, Overcome the Triggers of Comfort Eating, is an Amazon bestseller. So we talk with Renee in this episode about her many diets that she tried over many years and how she eventually discovered what was the trick. So that's coming up very soon. Habits and Health. My guest today is Renee Jones. How are you, Renee? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm pretty good. And we find you in in, uh, Texas today. In Texas, that's true. And whereabouts in Texas are you? I'm right between Dallas and Fort Worth. So east, uh, west of Dallas. And from our conversation before we started recording, you've been, you know Texas pretty well, it sounds like. (laughs) Lived here most of my life, yes. I was born here and I always come back here. But you spent, well, so it's quite funny. I mean, again, something we, I discovered just before we pre- I pressed record, that your surname is quite appropriate to, to somewhere you spent four years of your life in. Yes. I lived in Wales for four years. And uh, when, I, when I came back to the States, um, I married a man whose name was Michael Jones. And they were like, his name was never Jones. I said, I know, I know, but that's true. <laughs> And has he ever been to Wales? Yeah, because we were dating. We were actually engaged the last two years I was there because it was over about eight years that I was there. And he would come visit me uh, every six months or so in those last two years. So is is he Welsh or is he American? No, no, he's American. He's from Abilene, Texas. So he's a West Texas boy. Right, but okay. But clearly with the name Jones, it's likely to be Welsh. Somewhere along the Somewhere. line, yeah. <laughs> so, Tarana, tell me a little bit more about yourself. I mean, I, your your bio is fascinating, and your your story and the book you've written, and so on. Mm. So, I mean, where where would be a good place to start? Where where would you like to start? Well, um, I spent forty years on the diet yo yo, up and down the scale, and it took. I mean, I would lose ten pounds, twenty pounds, thirty pounds, and gain it back or five pounds and gain that back. And it was just a perpetual up and down the scale for all of those 40 years. And you, I like the way that you describe it as a diet yo-yo. At what point was it where you realized that it was a yo-yo and it was kind of, I don't know, well, I mean, it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts that you realize maybe dieting isn't the right way to go about this is, is uh, how, what were your thoughts? What did you discover? Well, I just thought that was the way it was. I mean, my, my grandmother was heavy. My mother was heavy and this is how it began. I mean, we would, I was about 10 when I looked around and saw all the other little girls, the blondes and the brunettes who were thin. And I was a chunky redhead. And I said to my mother, I said, I'm already redheaded. That's a problem because in the 70s it was. Um, 
but I want to, I don't want to be so heavy. And she said, well, it's a bit early for you to try a diet, but if you want to, we can do it. So we did, and we did okay for a couple of weeks at a time. And then when something happened, we'd eventually go off the diet altogether until we regained whatever we had lost. And we thought, right, it's time to diet again. I, I just thought that's how things were. I didn't realize I know that sounds a bit silly, but I didn't realize you could actually lose it and not regain it. And so when did you have that realization? Um, I was staring down my 50th birthday, and I thought, if I don't do it now, it will never, ever, ever happen. So I started out. And what was it you said, if I don't do it now? So what? Was it that was so that you felt that you had to diet? What what were the consequences you felt that if you didn't diet, that something would happen? Something I would bad just would get happen? heavier and heavier and heavier until you know old age, when it doesn't apparently doesn't matter anymore. But of course, you know, for women around age fifty, there's that hormonal shift, mm. and it it it's not. I, what I learned was it's not impossible to maintain your weight. Right. Because I have been maintaining my weight for nine years and counting. Right. And so what changed? I got the idea in my head that it had to change. Mm. So there was, mind I didn't do it well for several months, but I, I sort of heard someone say, oh, it's just emotional eating. And I thought, oh, well, yeah, but I'd never put that together. That, mm. that you could change that. Mm-hmm. So I found a way to overcome my emotional eating. And you know what? If you don't eat for emotional reasons, it saves you a whole bunch of calories. But that sounds very easy. Oh, it I'm wasn't. Sure. Um, yeah. No. no. No, in fact, I actually hired someone to help me. I do really well with accountability. That, that works for me. Right. Because I knew every week I'd have to say, okay, here's here's my food stuff and here's what I was doing and this is what happened when I went and crawled into my peanut butter jar. Um, and it it worked out and it it took me a bit, but I lost the weight. I reached my goal weight the week before my 50th birthday. And so the person you said that you worked with, I'm guessing this is some kind of a nutritionist, nutrition coach, whatever it was, did they, was it the accountability that was the missing link or did they give you some kind of a plan or what, what happened? Actually, we talked very little about food. She was not a nutritionist. She was a coach. Right. And we talked about all the stuff, the emotional baggage that kept me kind of where I was. And we started working through it to unpack it so that I could be free of it. So I could pack for the journey I wanted to be on rather than the one I'd just sort of fallen into. So getting that, dealing with all of that emotional baggage kept me from having to go to food to get comfort and stress relief. And did it did it all make sense as soon as she started explaining this, or did it take a while to really? Oh, it took a while, yeah. Mm. And there there's still times, honestly, Tony, when I go, hmm, I want to go eat now. Why? Oh, I'm not hungry. What's going on? In fact, I came up with a um, an acronym 
And I say, overcoming emotional eating isn't hard. You just have to get the hang of it. And hang is the acronym. H, am I hungry? And if you are, you probably do need to get something to eat. But if you're not hungry, then A is, what is the attraction to food right now in this moment? What's going on for you? And then the N is, what is it that you actually need? Do you need a hug? Do you need to walk around the building? Do you need to talk to a friend? You know, what is it that you truly need in that moment? And the G is go, go get that, because that will soothe you more than food ever possibly could. So getting that idea helped me stop myself in the midst of it and make a different choice. Um, on the, you said about the the acronym H A N G. So on the first, you know, the first word was hungry. Hungry. So are mm-hmm. you hungry? Mm-hmm. How do you determine whether you are hungry in the first place? Sometimes that takes a while to figure out because we are so wired to go to food for comfort. Mm. But you do have to go. Okay. I just ate two hours ago. I had this, this, and this. Could I possibly be hungry? No, not really. Because it's not its not that stomach growl that pushes us to food. It's mm. that need for comfort. Because mm. I mean, if you think about it, when a baby cries, we put something in their mouth, whether it's the bottle mm. or the breast or a pacifier, a dummy. We put something in our mouth so we learn that soothing early on. And then we go to, children go to their thumbs. And then we go to donuts, pizza, and chips and things, right? Looking for that soothing. So if you're you're not physically hungry, it's probably something on an emotional level. You just need soothing or stress relief. And so it sounds like then it's a lot you're better able to identify that now than in the early days of discovering this. Yeah, because it feels the same. If you've been eating for emotional reasons, it feels the same. Hmm. But recognizing, okay, this is hunger and this is not, helps you to then make those choices more effectively. And so is your book, I think, I believe your book is titled the same, um, well, what, what is the title of your book? Just remind me. What's Really Eating You? Overcoming the Triggers of Comfort Eating. And so what was it, why did you decide to write the book? Because I wanted to be able to share with more people. And, you know, not everyone can afford to buy a coach, to hire a coach. Um, I can't get to everyone. I mean, I have, I do have clients on six different continents, so I've got good reach, but they may not want that. So this is a way that they can, A, check me out, see, okay, do I like this person? Does that make sense to me? As well as, as work through it, because it's not quite a workbook, but it could be, and it allows them to do it on their own if they can. And so the clients you talk about working with, so that's working with them as in terms of helping them with um, emotional eating. Is that how you're helping people? Yes. But the truth is, that's just where we start. 
Because right. most of it, um, you know, some people come just for the weight loss, but a mm. lot of people come to just get rid of all the extra baggage that they're tired of dragging with them. But yes, and what we, do you mean? What do you mean by that? Emotional baggage. Yeah. Old stories, limiting beliefs, the stuff from childhood, and I help them heal their heart so they can be who they were meant to be. And, and weight so loss I, often comes along with it. Is there, um, I mean, this is, I, I know, I realize this is an impossible question to answer, but <laughs> how, I'm wondering how, well, what typically, how, what, how long a period would you work with someone? Um, I like to work with people for six months. I have right. done three, um, but I like to work with people for six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it takes a little time to walk through all the stuff. They've got to try to figure it out because, I mean, it's not its not like I can just give them a prescription and say, here, go take, do this, and life will be great. Mm-hmm. They go mm-hmm. do that, and then they see how it works for them, whether that's the nutrition or the relationships or work or life or anything else, Right. So I I like to walk with them through at least six months so that we can respond to various experiences in their days. So in those, you mentioned people from six different continents you're working with. So the diets and the food choices in all those six continents will be quite different. But what about the emotional issues? Are they, are they quite similar across all those continents? They are, they, I mean, cultures are different. That's absolutely true. Cultures are different. And nutrition is slightly different. I mean, the body runs on calories, right? That's how we, we move. And if I can f- help them figure out what works for them, because that's, that's the first pillar I do, is finding what works for your body. I don't actually... Um, give them a specific diet as such. We do a metabolic Mm -hmm. assessment so that they can know what will work for their body. Um, But they get to choose. If they don't want to do it Mm -hmm. that way, they don't have to do it that way. But at least they know. And then the emotional stuff, there are cultural differences, and I have to be Mm -hmm. careful (laughs) um, sometimes. But in the end, most people struggle if they're struggling with emotional eating, most often they have a self-esteem issue in there somewhere. And that's universal. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you're looking for the fastest and most effective way to transform your energy and well-being, we invite you to join Tony for an upcoming Habits and Health workshop. This five-week group workshop will empower you with tools to disrupt unwanted habits and make positive changes easy. You'll enjoy sounder sleep, better energy, less stress and a happier mood. Workshops begin on the first week of every month and you can sign up now at tonywinyard.com. Now, back to the show. So I'm, my assumption is that 
Western countries, United Kingdom, United States, and so on, mentalities maybe will be f- quite similar in some ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's obviously differences, but there'll be more similarities than when you're working with, say, J- Japanese people, for example. And and so do you take a, a, quite a different approach or is it more about the individual, really? It's so much more about the individual. Yeah. You know, I, I have to work with them where they are, not where I want them to be yet. Right. And... You know, I, I have um, I have had experiences where they're like, yeah, I can't do that. Okay, well, let's figure out another way around it because right. this is bothering you mm. and we've got to find a resolution. What would work for you? And how did they find out about you in the first place? The TEDx talk has been very helpful. Right. Um, that, that put me out into a whole different realm. Um, so that, that's and, primarily And how did that it. come about? Well, <laughs> um, a year before, my husband had said, you might want to think about doing public speaking. And I said, Lev, I'm never going to be a speaker. And lo and behold, famous last words, right? And it, it just came, we, I found a coach to help me, you know, learn how to speak in public. And one of the options was then to apply for a TEDx talk, um, and it they took me. So I was like, "Wow, they actually took me. This is great." Mind that wasn't the first place I had I had applied. The thing is, I didn't realize they wanted it mostly local. So I started applying in places I'd never been before because I thought it'd be kind of fun to go to Rhode Island. I've never been there, or Oregon. Never been there. But that wasn't how that works. <laughs> but this particular one didn't mind where you were from. And so where was was that quite local then, it sounds? No, no, I was actually in Delaware, which is over on the East Coast. Right, okay. But and it, so it, was so what was your top what did you speak about? I guess it was about emotional eating, but, but was it more specific than that? No, it was emotional eating, lose the weight and keep it off. And was it in planning for the TED Talk? I'm guessing there must have been some nerves and fears there. How how did it actually go? My knees were shaking for the whole 11 minutes, Tony. It was, <laughs> I was very, very nervous, very nervous, uh, because that I, I, the lights freaked me out. I hadn't been accustomed to, to lights like that before. So the morning of... I was in this hotel room. I took all the shades off all of the lamps and put them right in front of me. And I gave my talk to the lamps because I thought that'll help me. And it did. But the thing is very often, once you get going, you're into your talk and it has to be memorized. Then it's much easier because you know what you're going to say. How many other speakers were there on the same um, event? That day, I think there were 15 and what, where were you within those 15? <laughs> I was right before lunch. I thought that was an awfully dirty trick to play on people. But I was like number six, I think. Right. And so did that make lunch a lot easier that you'd finished your talk? Yes. In fact, my husband and I went out and there was a there was a bench near the elevators. And I sat down. He said, don't you want to go have lunch? I said, yes. As soon as I feel I can trust my legs again, I'll get up. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yes, the, it made the afternoon so much more relaxed. So, so when was the book published? Uh, January of 2017. And so since the book was released and, you know, obviously you'll have got many reviews and feedback and, and so on. Has it made you want to update it or do a, a second book or what's happened since then? Well, I, I think about updating it periodically. Um, and I, I think about writing another one because I'm a writer at heart anyway. Uh, but I don't have a plan for that. The the thing that I'm I'm getting ready to do is the audible version of it. Right. Because I mm-hmm. like audiobooks and other people like audiobooks. And I thought, well, that won't that's not hard. I could do that. So I want to go back actually to you mentioned about the time in Wales. So what what age were you when you were in Wales? I was um about to turn twenty-four to 25 and then I came back to go to grad school um in 1990 I came back to do a summer uh, in Tenby to help uh, between two people who were uh, one person was finishing one was coming and I did the middle and then uh, I was 30 to 32 and so what well so why did you originally come to Wales? Was that family reasons or something? What, what was no, the it, was a, it was a job opportunity. There was a, right. a program similar to the Peace Corps, if you've ever heard of that, where you do two-year right. stints in places. Yeah. And um, they needed someone to run a um, – what's it called? A community center. Right. And then the second time I, I – got my degree in counseling by uh, by the third time and uh, they wanted to open a counseling center in the village and one of the reasons i asked that question is because we well the food culture in the united kingdom and the united states seems to be quite different i mean like the your I mean, I, may, I might be stereotyping a bit, but the portion sizes seem to be far bigger in, in the States than they are in the UK. So, and with the subject that we've been talking about and how you've been yo-yo dieting, I wondered how, whether it was easier during the time you were in the UK or whether that made no difference. Um, no, it didn't really make a lot of difference. Um, you know, the, there is uh, a saying, if you leave a Welsh table hungry, it's your own fault. Right. Because they had their little American girl that they wanted to take care of, and I was I was heavy. I was like over ten stone at the time, ten ten and a half, something like that, eleven. Um, so it was that they were just looking after me. And what I had learned um, a few years ago is what works for my body, hmm. and the food. A lot of the food that I ate in Wales was not necessarily good for me. But it was, it was there and it was good. It worked, but it kept me heavy. So when you started working with the coach and you started making a few changes and, as you say, most of it was around emotional eating, mm-hmm. so did you just sort of change everything overnight or was it gradual or what, how did that happen? Oh, no, that was, it was a gradual change because there's a lot of work involved in dealing with the emotional stuff, right? It takes some time to change your thinking, to change your how you approach feeling. I was a very cynical person, um, and that had to go. But it was a good thing to go 
but it took a while for, for me to get out of the old habits and into the new habits. And as far as food is concerned, I actually lost my weight on a low-fat, low-calorie diet, but I was tired, hungry, and cranky all the time. Right. So what I, I did, I, I, two years after, I was still struggling to maintain my weight, and I thought, there's got to be something better than this. So I found this metabolic assessment that told me what my body worked better with, and I was already at my goal weight, and they gave me this um, nutrition plan, and I followed it for a week, and I lost two more pounds. So I thought, there's something to this. Mm-hmm. So I, once I found what worked for my body and what my body actually needs, because, you know, we're all different. Our, we all have a, a unique fingerprint. So why would we think any diet going would work for us? Mm-hmm. We have to try them out or find what works so that we can maintain, you know, our, our goal, our, our health, our body in the place that it needs to be. That was, that was amazing for me because I haven't struggled with it since. And so in working with your clients, what, are there any common denominators to, like, what, what is the hardest things for your clients to change, do you think? One of the things is their belief that they can do it. Because they've, they've done it for so long. I mean, oftentimes when people come to me, they say, I can handle everything else, but this I can't. So if, if we can engage their belief that they can lose the weight they want to lose, that they can live at that goal weight forever, that they have it within them, that they, they can choose to maintain it, then we've gone a long way, a long way. So, so a couple of thoughts come to my mind from what you said there, because there's, so there's two things I'm thinking. One is you mentioned about you were initially quite cynical. I'm imagining that many of those people will also be quite cynical because, as you said, they've tried so many things. There'll be a number of people who will be very doubtful that anything can work for them because they've tried so many things and nothing has worked. And so, and there must be some people who don't even come to you in the first place because they just, they're just totally disillusioned. And they think there's, I'm just going to be this way for the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're also frustrated because they think they are doing what they need to do. Um, you know, they've tried every pill, potion and powder out there and, Unfortunately, a lot of times they just don't completely understand the the mechanisms and the consistency. And particularly people who have um, reactions to certain foods, inflammatory responses, that sort of thing. Mm. And they just want to be normal. They don't want to have to be rid of those foods. And yet that could be the key to their freedom. Mm. So, yeah, sometimes they're jaded (laughs) another one okay what what is different about yours that we haven't tried before it's all the same stuff right and Mm -hmm. you know fundamentally sure if you have a calorie deficit you're likely to lose weight the the key for each person is what does your body need how does your body respond to, to these things 
And if you figure out what works for your body, it'll be a lot easier. You'll be more satisfied. Once I started on that that different program, then I was so much more satisfied than I'd ever been before on the same number or even fewer calories sometimes. Hmm. So you just have to find what works for you. Do you find that the first few months of the year are your busiest time for inquiries with people failing in New Year's resolutions and and so on? It it can certainly be, yeah. Usually after about mid-January, all the resolutions are out the window. Um, And it was for me when I started too. So, yeah, it can be busy. Do you have any thoughts on why that is? Do you have any thoughts on why people would, so many people fail on many of their New Year's resolutions? Oh, sure. Because they fail to resolve the issue driving the behavior they're trying to resolve not to do anymore. Uh, there's, there's just so much in our uh, emotional makeup, right? If, if you need, if you don't feel loved in a certain area, you're going to be looking for that some way. And it may be a Cadbury egg that does it for you, but it doesn't last. So we've got to find, okay, what's driving the behavior? And if we resolve that, then you won't need resolutions anymore. You'll just do them. We're we're coming towards the end. And a couple of questions I I always ask, is there a book that's really moved you, Renee? Yeah, I mean, there are a number, but I think um, I just got the audio version of a book called Beautiful Outlaw by John Eldredge. And um, I'm, a, I'm a woman of faith, and it is a, a book about Jesus that isn't overly churched, as it were. It's just looking at him as a human being. And it was like, oh, that's fun. Oh, that's nice. So, yeah, it just, it, it, it shifted my perspective a bit. And if people want to find out more about you and the, the programs you run and social media and so on, where, where should they look? Website is packyourownbag.com. And mm-hmm. I think Facebook and Instagram are both pack your own bag. And can you explain pack your own bag? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I believe so much of our emotional bags are packed for us as we are growing up. And Mm -hmm. sometimes what we have to do is just unpack a lot of that stuff and get rid of it, like all the flotsam and jetsam in the bottom of your, your luggage, so that you can pack for the journey you want to be on. You can pack your own bag now. And Renee, finally, is there is there a quotation that you particularly like? Oh, I love St. Catherine of Siena who said, Be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. And why does that speak to you? Because I think it's important to be you, not this version that we um, sometimes fall into. But if we can get back to our truest selves, that's who we were made to be. Those are the gifts we were meant to bring to the world so that we can help others. Renee, it's been a real pleasure. So thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And best of luck. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
Next week is episode 46 with Tara, Tara Bianca, who is a holistic health practitioner for almost 20 years. And she has a company called Be Light Transformative Therapy. And in that, she specializes in therapeutic bodywork, breathwork, mindset, and sound healing. She does a lot of, um, a lot of her work is around breathing, and we go into that quite a lot. But we also talk about some of the other areas that she helps people with as well. And she's got a really good knowledge on breathing and a good way of working with that. So that's next week with Tara Bianca. If you know anyone who would get some real benefit from hearing some of the information that Renee shared with, shared with us this week, please do share the episode with them and hope you have a fantastic week. Thanks for tuning in to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast. Thank you.